fertility. The cobbled streets of a back alley in the red light district of Ked. I walk with a slightly wider gait than I'm used to. I work in marketing. Phone marketing. I don't mean I market phones, I mean I use phones to market. I'm currently working on a fizzy drink called Faz. Faz's USP is that it can help young men sustain erections for up to 14 minutes. It only works for men between the ages of 18 and 22. Unfortunately for any men over the age of 22, it actually metastasizes into throat cancer. We found that out the hard way. Fertility rates have been decreasing year in, year out in KED. Many blame the drug oxybentin, large quantities of which were found in Kedbury chocolate until very recently. Cases of boys who consumed regular quantities of Kedbury chocolate found that their penises would collapse in on themselves. Young men today, and by young men I mean 18 to 22, are on average able to sustain an erection for the length of time it takes to complete a Rubik's cube that's hidden in the freezer of a stay-at-home mum. The red light district is notorious for creating some of Ked's most sustained erections. Many, many years ago on a friend's stag, I found myself using the stopwatch function on my stopwatch that I carry around my neck and tuck into the pocket of my Oxford shirt to time a man who was being given a lap dance with an inordinately firm and sustained erection. I clicked the stopwatch at 27 minutes, having felt with my thumb and forefinger his shaft deflate by about 4%, enough to make the claim his erection was in decline. Barry the Bouncer doesn't recognise me. Many moons ago he caved my face in until I was unrecognisable. Funny case of misidentity. He thought I was his cousin who owed him money for fucking his wife. I wasn't. We agreed to an out-of-court settlement on the grounds I can come to Roxy Strip Club whenever I feel like it, without having to place a pound in the jar every hour. Marketing salaries aren't what they used to be, and neither are the pounds we use to supply them. I've been able to conduct all sorts of research, which I won't go into now, except to say my own erections last 10% longer. Hi, I'm just going in. I've told you you're not allowed in here, and if I saw you again, I'd give you a ride in. I'm sorry, it's just... I'm desperate. I need to see the girls. Listen, you perv. I've got you on CCTV. You step one foot closer, you're eating pavement. You hear me? Perv. You don't get to be a perv and come back here. Perv. I'm sorry, I just like the girls. Fucking perv. Come here. Sorry. Jonathan Platt is one of a kind. This is a man who not only understands music, but has the gift of being able to know exactly how to shoot it. He spent seven years researching Beethoven. He read every Wikipedia entry. He asked ChatGPT at least 30 different questions. He has such a great eye. By the third day of the shoot, he was applying his own makeup. He didn't even need me. What's so great about Jonathan is that he just understands the human condition in a way we've rarely seen, if ever. I've actually never worked with someone so totally embedded in what was going on. He's writing, he's directing, he's producing, he's applying his own makeup, he's applying his own prosthetics, he's driving us to catering. Jonathan found a way into the story that transformed what could have been a regular biopic into a masterpiece. What's so great about Jonathan is that he just innately understands cinema. I mean, I, I'd go as far as to say that Jonathan is cinema. 
I mean, it's also just remarkable that it's only his second film. He's got such vision. His vision is just, is, it's, it's everywhere you look. It's just vision, vision, vision. And his focus, and uh, the focus, it's just focus, focus. Everywhere you look, everyone's just so focused on his vision. Everyone talks about my vision and my focus, but the truth is none of that matters without first the right script. And so for that, I have to thank Jack Nicholson. Jack took me for a meal about two years ago to congratulate me on my debut and asked me what I was making next. And I said, Jack, I just haven't found the right script. There are no interesting scripts out there. And to his credit, he stood up from his seat. He unruffled his polo shirt from his trousers and unclasped his belt and wedged between his trousers and his belly was a dog-eared, pubic-haired-covered copy of the Beethoven script. And he handed it to me, and I could smell the faint scent of urine on it. But he handed it to me, and he said, I've been holding this for 30 years, and no director has felt right until now. And I think that's you. And Jack embraced me in his arms in a big bear hug and gave me a big wet kiss on the neck and said, I want to make this with you. Let's do it. And we did. An Apple Mac laptop covered in sliced strawberries. A brown bag containing wet leaves and severed thumbs. A hollowed out tree stump with a pool of Austrian mineral water and a VHS copy of My Cousin Vinny. A fallen angel in an I Heart NY t-shirt has her wings covered in thin pastrami. A deaf guide dog in roller skates licks stamps onto the centenary birthday letters of war veterans. A young girl wakes up in the morning to find a bowl of staples bobbing up and down in a pool of tears collected from the tear ducts of blind sweatshop workers. Matt versus Shiny. I walk through the cold stone hall of a prestigious London gallery for an exhibition of a radical Eastern European performance artist. Custard drip from a skip held by thin wire above head height. The piece was a commentary on the futility of using skips as a viable container for large amounts of custard. It may also have been a thickly veiled metaphor for the slow drudgery of life, but as I think this right now, I can only speculate. I attended this exhibition as the guest of a friend who asks me in no uncertain terms if I'm matte or shiny. This question struck me in all its impenetrable abstraction with such force that I immediately looked at my friend and rather than ask her to elaborate on the meaning of this question, I instead answered, Matt, and asked her to marry me. Regrettably, she informed me that she was in fact shiny, and as a result we would be a terrible match, and so declined my proposal. In a horrible turn of events, she terminated the friendship, citing the proposal as an unsettling chapter from which we could not recover in an otherwise perfectly civil and affectionate friendship. I tried to take lessons from events such as these. The conclusion I've drawn is that skips overflowing with custard are a bad omen, and where they can be avoided, one should. If I could go back, I'd still answer Matt. Shiny is for the narcissists of this world, and with that I remembered two things. One, that my friend is a Leo, and two, that I don't believe in astrology. I wear seven faces. One of them is the face inverted on itself of a man with his eyes closed, listening to the Interpol album Turn On The Bright Lights. The remaining six faces are all my face in increasing degrees of discomfort. Three of these faces smell like burnt flesh. Three of them smell like eucalyptus. Once I took all seven of the faces off to find there was nothing there underneath. Well, when I say nothing, I mean a perspex box with a freestanding fluorescent tube glowing pink. 
I was aghast to find that at the root of it all, that's what I was. Nowhere in any of the religious literature I had consumed for 13 days had it spoken of this perspex box with its pink fluorescent tube inside. I wondered whether everyone had a perspex box with a fluorescent tube, and whether everyone's fluorescent tube was pink, or whether it was just me. The thought that it was just me had been growing in my mind like a syphilitic ulcer on the inner lining of a Victorian prostitute. I decided that first thing tomorrow morning I was going to return my faces to the depot. I still had my receipt. I keep all my receipts. Pinned to a corkboard in the kitchen next to an A3 colour printout of America's most up-to-date terrorist list. It scared me to think about what my life might look like as a fluorescent tube inside a Perspex box, but this fear was superseded by the thought of continuing under the auspices of my seven faces and their seven disappointing erections. The Cobbler. One man stands between imminent nuclear disaster and a dearth of scuffed shoes. Kent, 1984. It's been 40 years since the end of the Second World War. A Cold War is about to thaw, with a likelihood of total annihilation 100%, statistically speaking. Unless John Rogers can use his skills as a professional cobbler to infiltrate the Global Cobbler Convention, attended by the world's most powerful men and their wives and mistresses. With only his cobbler toolkit, working man's charisma, and incredibly sharp, granite-like bald head, Jason Statham ignites the screen as John Rogers in what is sure to be this summer's sleeper hit. In all respectable cinemas in Kent now. Interrogation room three. In my company, I have Constable Ghoul and Jamie Bishop. I am Reginald Fellner, Reggie for short. I shall be conducting this interview. Can we close the blinds? The light leaks still. It makes it hard to create a tense environment with all that light. Just just move it a little more. Yeah, yeah, there, there, that'll do. Commencing interview at 0900 hours, Jamie. We expect you to answer every question to the best of your knowledge. If there is anything that doesn't make sense or you need some additional context, it can be provided. Is that all clear? Yes, I think so. Great. First question. Would you ever, or have you ever, shaved the genitalia of a piglet while being spit-roasted by a pair of conservative politicians who happen to be twins? No, what kind of question is that? And if the above event were to take place behind closed doors, as it were, then? Well, yes, but only if it was behind closed doors. Yes. And have you ever or would you ever be hogtied, thrown to the boot of a Ford Fiesta and taken to a sex circus to be displayed for Uzo's creative and business intelligentsia? No. And were it all to have taken place quietly behind closed doors? Then yes. Yes, not many of these, Jamie. Have you ever let a fox shit in your mouth while a family-sized bottle of Listerine mouthwash was inserted into your rectal cavity? No. And behind closed doors? Yes. Have you ever behaved as a human semen sponge at a Bukaki held at a conference for the CEOs of the FTSE 100 companies? No. And had the event taken place behind closed doors? Then yes. Jamie, you've done incredibly well. Just wanted to ask if you wouldn't mind bending over the interrogation desk and spreading your cheeks. Why? Constable Ghoul and I routinely take turns penetrating suspects in here, and it happens to be Ghoul's turn. 
Whoever's turn it is, the other tends to ask. In etiquette, we adopted quite naturally, actually, didn't we? So would that be all right? No. I would just remind you it, it is behind closed doors. So is that okay, Jamie? Y yes. Great. Perfect jock. I keep having a dream about a perfect jock with perfect pecs sitting beside me in the sauna. He has a twinkle in his young eye and a Hollywood smile. His hair is foppish and parted in the middle, giving him a mid-90s Nickelodeon set of curtains. I can't stop thinking about this perfect jock. He has a white towel around his waist that's whiter than the light from the sun. Every time I cast my eyes down at it, I'm blinded. I stake my eyes around his perfect nipples, forming the off-centerpiece of his perfect pecs. He raises one arm above his head to administer a performative scratch, and I'm greeted by his perfect armpit with its perfect amount of armpit hair and its perfect amount of moisture. Just a little damp. Like a damp flannel that could be used to mop up a plastic foam cup that's been spilt at an AA meeting. Not sopping wet. Just a little damp. His Adam's apple jutting out like a human thing that juts incredibly well. I've never encountered a perfect jock like him. I think about Kevin Spacey in American Beauty, and that makes me feel a little bit weird and unwell. What felt like an innocent admiration for a boyish jock perfection now feels seedy, unwholesome, and exploitative. It doesn't stop my erection, but the pendulum does seesaw between feeling like an accomplished erection into a guilty one. I worry about the thought police. Moments like this, I pray they don't break down my mind doors, flip over tables and chairs, and find my memory videos of my perfect jock with his perfect pecs. I hope I never hear my perfect jock speak. I'm terrified he'll sound like a dinner lady. He wears bronzing cream. I've seen the uneven tan lines across his back, where his large hands can't quite reach to create uniform coverage. The unevenness of his back tan in no way diminishes the perfect perfection of my jock and his perfect pecs. I think about him carrying me in his arms through a private square somewhere on the north side of Uzo. He cradles me in his giant arms and I feel his plasticine heart pumping through his perfect pain. He gives me a bath. Oat milk pours slowly from the taps, like 200 doves in slow motion. My perfect jock dunks me under the oat milk until I'm completely submerged. I get scared he won't let me back up, but he does. He smiles at me, a big boyish but heroic smile. My perfect jock and his perfect pecs make me feel safe. He takes me out of my oat milk bath by placing his hands under my armpits. Oat milk drips from me as he bundles me into a caramel-coloured towel that feels like the warm, gooey safety of my mother's vagina. My perfect jock with perfect pecs gives me everything I need. Sometimes I go and see my perfect jock play a perfect game of American football. He bumps his chest against other much less perfect jocks as he scores a try. He looks up at the stands where I sit, hooping and hollering for him. He points at me for what seems like forever, and then beats his fist against his chest where his plasticine heart is. That signals to me that I am in his heart, and that he loves me. I'll make sure to watch that he doesn't make the same gesture to anyone else, because I'm a jealous person. He doesn't. My perfect jock takes me for ice cream after, puts his perfect fingers covered in vanilla ice cream on my nose and then in my mouth, and I suck them. My perfect jock makes me feel safe. My perfect jock makes me feel safe. Makes me feel safe. Makes me feel safe. 